Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the November 11th, 2012 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the podcast devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and today, again, I have for you a special guest in the studio, Yaron Brook, Executive Director of the Ayn Rand Institute, who I managed to again convince to join me in the midst of his tour, where he's been promoting his book, which was co-authored with Don Watkins, Free Market Revolution, how Ayn Rand's ideas can end big government. And I think he'll tell you that now this book is more important than ever. Thanks, Sharon, for joining me here again. My pleasure. And for more on the book, I want you to listen to my podcast from before my hiatus, which was on uh, September 30th. I had an interview with Don Watkins in which we discussed the book extensively. And the reason I want you to do that is because today I want to discuss, of course, Tuesday's election. Uh, so I've got a number of topics here, the interpretation of the election results, what has been thrown out there and what your own agrees with or disagrees with, uh, the various actions, statements, and revelations that have been you know, taken place post-election in the very few days since the election from Obama and the Democrats and John Boehner, who's supposed to be our last holdout in the House, layoffs, stock market, going down the day after election. We're trying to get a picture of what the next four years are going to be like and, of course, what we should do about it. And so for that, we're going to talk to your own. I invite those of you who are attending live to call in or you can also ask questions in the chat room. There's already a bunch of people here in the chat room. The phone number, if you want to call, is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760 760- 888-5817. I've got all these things to keep your own busy, but as I said, uh, if there's something that you want to ask, go ahead and let me know. I have a couple questions that were submitted by people who are listeners to the show. Uh, one was coming through my Facebook page at Don't Let It Go Unheard, and uh, then I've got another one that was sent by email. So we have got a full slate here. People in the chat room... We've got all the smileys going here in the chat room. I started this. uh, We'll start following the chat room, and if you have any urgent questions, list them in the chat room, and if if we'll try to catch them. Yeah, Yaron should be a talk radio host because he is excellent, much better than I am, at both reading what's going on in the chat room and speaking at the same time. And I actually watched him read something a little bit earlier today. I didn't tell him this, but I was watching him read, and he read so quickly. Now I understand how he can do it. But... Anyway, let's start right in. Yaron, these are a bunch of interpretations of Tuesday's election results that I've heard, and I just want to see what your take is. The most ominous and negative one is, of course, that the American sense of life is completely wiped out. The idea that an American is an independent self-sufficient entity that doesn't rely on government for handouts, etc., that instead what Americans are now doing are embracing altruism, egalitarianism, collectivism, all the ideas that Obama has been peppering his speeches with over the last four years. Um, Another way perhaps to put this is Rush Limbaugh's kind of cute way, which is that you can't beat Santa Claus. He says that's it, you know. And and that's actually really a different point because he's saying, you know, you can't beat someone who hands out goodies everywhere. And that's the interpretation of the results. Uh, Another interpretation is that the election came out the way it did because Americans are rejecting the so-called social conservatism elements of the GOP platform. So the anti-abortion, you know, uh, so-called pro-life, but it's not really pro-life, uh, anti-gay marriage, etc. cetera. Uh, some people are saying that a new class of voter has now been created, and that's sort of a variation on the can't beat Santa Claus 
point that now there's a whole bunch of people just saying that they want to get entitlements from the government and they're just going to keep voting Democrat forever and ever and that Obama has helped created, create this new class of voter that forever is going to be insurmountable. And then finally, I've got Jennifer Burns, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, now, one person in the chat room saying they're having trouble with sound. If you're having trouble with sound, usually the best is to reboot. Other people are saying that the sound is fine. And uh, anyway, yeah, just always reboot and, and you should do fine. So, Yaron, what do you think about these various interpretations? Uh, you know, I think I think all the interpretations are right. I, I think the sense of life of Americans is in decline. It's in decay. It's uh, way, way down. I mean, I think we need to compare this election to the uh, Nixon McGovern elections of 72, which Ayn Rand wrote about quite extensively. And in those elections, in spite of the fact that Nixon was a pathetic candidate, a pathetic pathetic person, uh, was not pro-capitalist, was not a free market guy. I mean, we could go on and on about how bad Nixon was in in his domestic policy, how, how many of our problems today go back to Nixon administration. And yet he won in a landslide over McGovern because the American uh, the American sense of life was such that they rejected the, the leftism, the, the overt anti-Americanism, uh, the nihilism of the new left as represented by uh, by McGovern. So and, and here we have an election which with a with a nihilistic new left uh, presidential candidate, Obama, and a mediocre Republican, less than mediocre, pretty bad Republican in Romney. And if we still had the sense of life of 1972, uh, I think Romney would have won. So I think that the American sense of life is dramatically in decline. I don't think it's dead. The election wasn't a landslide for Obama, and, and there's a lot of Americans who voted for Romney. And I think that a lot of Americans, I think the good right is bigger and stronger and more intellectual today than it was in 1972. Rand, Ayn Rand has had much more influence on a big chunk of the right than she had in 1972. So I think they're more good people, but a lot more really, really bad people. So um, American sense of life is definitely dramatically in decline, and that's a real problem because that is very difficult to reverse. And that's related to the last explanation – the idea that people getting stuff, right, are not going to vote against it. I'm not convinced that that's true. I think this is, at the end of the day, a battle of ideas and not a class warfare thing, not about who's getting what and who's taking what. But there's no question in my mind that the entitlement state creates an entitlement mentality. And an entitlement mentality is a fundamentally anti-American sense of life mentality. So the more the entitlement state grows, the more the regulatory state grows, by definition, the sense of life of Americans is going to decline. Uh, this is the this is the impact. So, seventy two was what was uh, forty years ago, right? Right. Over the last forty years, government has grown, the state has grown, statism has grown, and surprise, surprise, as a consequence of that, as a consequence, uh, the sense of life of Americans has uh, has declined. Now, there's also this issue. So those are those are very negative. Those are those are very bad trends. The other uh, option is the other alternative was that many Americans uh, anti the religious right and and uh, didn't vote for Romney because not just Romney's positions, but Aiken's positions and uh, and Murdoch's positions. These ludicrous medieval primitive, you know, ridiculous positions on rape and on abortion and so on. And 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 generally uh, the issues about gay marriage and and just social issues generally. Now I think that's right. So let's let's assume that the Republicans were more moderate on these things, that they weren't quite as as uh, beholden to the religious right, and they weren't advocating for these completely ridiculous religious positions. They would have gained some voters, but they also would have lost some voters. <laughs> so the evangelicals would have less evangelicals would have showed up, and I, I don't think that many evangelicals showed up as it is but even less would have showed up. So what is the balance? Would more people have voted for Romney than would have lo- they, he lost? I don't know. I don't know. Now, so, I, I, you know, we can talk about what I, where I think the Republican Party should go and what I think we should be advocating for in a minute, but it's not clear to me that a more moderate position on religion would have won Romney, uh, would have gotten Romney elected, because I think the electorate is still rejecting free markets. I mean, 
I had I hate to say Romney and free markets in the same sentence, mm-hmm. but they're still, you know, they liked Obama. He's a nice guy, but, but the social issues clearly hurt Romney. But they also helped him with a segment of the population. I don't know what the balance is, and again, this goes to the uh, sense of I do think that a candidate like Ronald Reagan or even somebody 50% of Ronald Reagan, just a more charismatic, principled, articulate candidate, would have beaten Obama. So I do blame Romney for some of this. But again, the America of 1972 would have voted for Obama overwhelmingly over, uh, sorry, would have voted for Romney overwhelmingly over Obama. So sense of life is down. Uh, Religion is a real problem. And uh, uh, I can't show what the third one was. Anyway, um, the goodies and the entitlement. Yeah, and the yeah, goodies, yeah, yeah. but the goodies and the entitlement are related to sense of life. Right. You can't detach those two. Now, uh, actually, one other interpretation that I uh, forgot to put in here was that Americans are just anti-intellectual and non-essential in, in certain ways. So that uh, some people were carried away by Obama's so-called charisma that he's this likable guy, maybe so superficial as to go by the skin color and that kind of thing. And then another uh, interpretation was that Sandy, this Hurricane Sandy, helped him win the election because they saw him out there as the savior of the world and he was wearing his uh, flight jacket or whatever he was wearing so that he looked like he was very presidential in the in the heat of the moment there after Hurricane Sandy. Who knows? Uh, one interpretation I did want to talk to you about was that put forth by Jennifer Burns. And you and I were both... Well, let me just say about Sandy. I don't believe the Sandy stuff. The polls before Sandy and the polls after Sandy were pretty much the same. Yeah, Romney had some momentum, which which I think Sandy hurt, but it wouldn't have changed. I don't think it would have changed dramatically the outcome. Maybe it would have been closer. Um, and look, I, and I know all the Republicans are, are going are to claim... Uh, all kind of things. I mean, fraud. There's a lot of claims about fraud. Fraud didn't swing this election. There's going to be claims about Sandy. That look, Republicans lost. They lost big time. And don't tell me they won the House and that that compensates for it. It doesn't. The House is very local. Yeah, you can win the House, but you can lose America. The Democrats won the Senate overwhelmingly. They they added positions when we were expected to lose like ten. There was even talk at some point the Republicans might get sixty senators out of this election. In, which would be in a gain of 13, I think. Instead, they lost two. This is an overwhelmingly Democratic victory. The Democrats have a mandate. Obama is right in saying that the American people voted for his agenda. Uh, and, you know, this is this is horrific. This is a tragedy. This is really, really, really bad. And I don't buy I see these tweets and these posts and blog posts by Republicans who try to find a silver lining here. Ain't no silver lining. This is a disaster. Well, then one further question. Yeah, I'm sighing because, oh, my gosh, you know, I and last, you know, last week, I unfortunately was right to have doubts, you know, about how this election was going to turn out. And if you people who are listeners to the show, regular listeners, you know that Bosch Faustin, who is normally my co-host here, was certain that Romney was going to win. And I think he was going to bet me a trillion dollars. Well, and, Bosch, and Bosch has an overload of American sense of life, and he, he, he couldn't quite believe that, you know, this is us immigrants, couldn't quite believe that Americans would be this bad as to vote for Obama. But I'm not an immigrant, so what's my excuse? But anyway, <laughs> uh, Jennifer Burns, who appeared in that uh, documentary, Ayn Rand and the Prophecy of Atlas Shrugged, with, I guess, both of us, she wrote this biography of Ayn Rand, and then she's making, of course, a whole cottage industry about going out there and commenting on everything about whether you know it has to do with Ayn Rand. She writes that the election should be a referendum on whether Republicans should allow Ayn Rand to influence them and their their platform. So this is a she wrote this actually November sixth in Bloomberg. And she said, whoever prevails in today's election, the 2002 presidential campaign should go down as a referendum on the long conservative fascination with Ayn Rand, the controversial libertarian novelist and philosopher. And then she goes, she says, Mitt Romney embodies Rand's belief in the moral rectitude of free market capitalism. She says, Paul Ryan has built his political philosophy on Rand's work. And then at the end, she finishes up saying that 
you know, Rand has divided Americans into moochers and producers, dependents and independents. And she says this is no longer controversial. It reflects conventional wisdom in the Republican Party. And she says this election may well determine if that philosophy can withstand the scrutiny of American voters. So she would say, look, it didn't withstand the scrutiny of American voters. Ayn Rand should no longer be seen as an influential philosophical leader of Republican Party. I mean, Jennifer Burns is a hack. I said it here. I mean, I mean that is a that is a ridiculous article. It's a ridiculous argument, uh, and uh, it, it, it's absurd. This is a, this election was a referendum about conservatism, and a referendum about modern day conservatism, and it's a complete rejection of modern day conservatism. Now, remember, modern day conservatism. Uh, through the work of of, w, of, of Buckley, um, rejected Ayn Rand. And as a consequence, I think the Republican Party are losing and losing big time. So Buckley threw Ayn Rand out of, the, out of the Republican Party, out of the right, out of conservatism, if you will, out of their big tent 55 years ago. And what did they get instead? Instead, they brought in the religious right. And instead, they brought in the neoconservatives, the 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 wishy-washy, uh, would, you know, compromising positions on free markets. Now, and they got Romney as a candidate. To call Romney a defender of free markets is one of the most absurd, ridiculous, uh, infantile things I've ever heard. I mean, Romney couldn't even defend private equity, which is his own profession. He didn't propose one proposal, not a single proposal, to move this country towards free markets. He wanted to redo Dodd-Frank, right? But he didn't want to eliminate anything. He didn't want to deregulate anything. He didn't want to, he didn't want to get the government off our box in any significant way. Even his taxes were revenue neutral. They weren't going to reduce anybody's tax burden. They were just going to dis- rearrange them. So, you know, Romney was anything but a free market. And it's, it, you know, we, we can't, this is the problem of, of uh, you know, we need to be very careful not to consider ourselves conservative and not to consider ourselves Republican because we're not. And Romney was one of the most pathetic candidates ever uh, on the right. Now, they're all pathetic, right? I mean, at least since Bob Dole or, or actually George Bush Sr., uh, they ha- the Republicans have not presented a single decent candidate since Ronald Reagan for the presidency. Not a single one, not one that comes even close. But Romney, supporting Ayn Rand, and of course, Ryan in spite of his support for Ayn Rand, presents a Ryan budget that balances the budget in 2040. You want to see what an Ayn Rand budget looks like? I mean, now granted, the other flip side of it is an Ayn Rand candidate couldn't win. So I'm not saying objectivism can take over the world. It can't. Uh, that's one of the great. That's one of the great tragedies here. But between Romney and Ayn Rand, there is you know, a huge, huge uh, gulf that, you know, a, a, a huge distance. And somebody needs to start moving the Republican Party and moving the conservative movement in the direction of Ayn Rand. Now, that's not to say she hasn't had a lot of influence. She has had a lot of influence. And that influence can be seen in the Tea Party, and that influence can be seen in the better members of the House of Representatives. And that's the one place where Republicans are actually uh, gain ground, Right. Uh, and so I think what the Republicans need to learn from this is they need to present a principal defense of free markets. They not laissez-faire capitalism. Okay, not laissez-faire capitalism because they can't win on that. But closer, move in that direction. Move at least in the, to the to the vocabulary of Ronald Reagan. Uh, and they haven't. They've moved leftwards. I mean, somebody here wrote wrote that Romney was conci- completely conciliatory to Obama. In the last debate, he was conciliatory in the whole campaign. I mean, so Obama wants to save Social Security. No, no, I can, I can save it even better. I, you know, I'm going to make Social Security even more efficient than you can. Obama wants to blame everything on China. No, no, you're absolutely right. It's China's fault. But I, I will attack China even more thoroughly than you will attack China. This was the Republicans were a Me Too campaign from beginning to end. Ryan, unfortunately, did not elevate the debate. Uh, his his uh, vice presidential um, performance in the debate was pathetic, I thought. Uh, he didn't talk about principles except with regards to abortion. He didn't talk about a single principle the whole debate. So don't blame this on Ayn Rand. Blame this on middle-of-the-road, wishy-washy, stand-for-nothing, pathetic Republicans and conservatives. This should be 
the death of Buckley. Let's bring Ayn Rand truly into the Republican Party. Let's take it over and let's have, uh, you know, much more principled, uh, you know, uh, conservatives. I definitely agree. So now we are kind of done with our interpretation section, but I want to go ahead and take a caller before we move on. Hello. Okay. Can you hear me, Amy? Yes, I can. Okay, but my sound always dies when you unmute me for some reason for a minute. But um, yeah, I, I apologize if I you already covered this, Doctor Brooke, because I didn't um, get my sound working for the first few minutes. But I just wanted to ask what you think about the the fact of this guy Murdoch from Indiana, um, how that might have maybe affected Romney negatively. And I kind of saw it as a positive that in Indiana he had been up by quite a bit until he made this ridiculous comment about a woman who'd been raped. It's God's will for her to have her baby. And then the result was that he lost. And I, I kind of saw that as a little bit of a silver lining. Um, but what do you think about that? Well, and even even more than that, Aiken in Missouri was way ahead, was going to beat McCaskill. I mean, McCaskill was very, most vulnerable Democratic senator in the country, and he made that that evil comment about uh, you know voluntary and involuntary rape uh, and and abortion. So I think those two comments hurt Romney quite a bit. Uh, again, I do, and particularly among single women. I, I, if you look at the votes, Romney did pathetically among young people and single women. Young people are much more socially liberal than uh, than I think older people. And as a consequence, uh, those two comments, I think, hurt Romney dramatically. Of course, the Republicans won't admit it because they all kind of hold positions similar. Not all of them, but the religious right certainly holds those positions as very, very dear. And and so, yes, I think that if, if those two comments had not been made, this election would have been closer. But I don't think it would have changed it, its dynamics completely. I also think if those comments hadn't been made, a lot of people who voted for Romney uh, for Obama would have been less motivated to to vote for him. I think that a lot of young people and a lot of women voted for Obama as a protest vote against the nuttiness, uh, the medieval nature of so many of these uh, religious right conservatives. So, uh, you know, the Republicans are going to have to change, and uh, if they don't change. They will become irrelevant. Uh, it's that. It's immigration. There's absolutely no reason that uh, conservatives uh, or Republicans should should lose 70 percent of uh, of the uh, Hispanic vote. I think they could do much better with Hispanics if they just had a sane immigration policy, which they don't today. So, uh, so yes, uh, you know, the, the, this this and and by the way, Romney was the worst on this, right? If you listen to the debates. On um, if you listen to the debates between the Republicans, he was hostile to immigration. Hostile. I mean, the stuff he said about illegal immigrants was was downright nasty, and people remember that. People remember that, and they go after him. So yes, maybe he secured the base and he secured the nomination, but as a contrast to that, he lost the election, or he lost he lost whatever he could have got from the Hispanic vote. He lost. So there's a lot of things the Republicans need to change. They need to become less religious. And they need to become the, uh, pro-immigration, find a way to become really pro-legal immigration and propose real changes uh, to immigration laws so that they can do it. So, Debbie, I want to know if you've got any uh, follow-up to that. I'm going ahead and unmute you again here. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I guess I just, as devastating as this loss was, I mean, and it really, really, truly was for me, I was extremely depressed the day after. But as, as that being said, I think that it might be a good sign that this that that this Murdoch was so soundly rejected, and if that was part of the reason for why Romney lost as well, well then at least that part of it is a good reason. Um, and I, I'm really shocked to hear so many concern. Well, I'm not really shocked, but just to hear so many conservatives saying, "Well, we can't understand Romney articulated free market principles." There would have been no better spokesman for them, and the people rejected that, so therefore the American people have rejected this free market, and they're just flummoxed by it, and and, uh, and I'm not, but I'm, I'm a little amazed that they could distort that in their minds so much that, that they would interpret it as a rejection of, of uh, free markets. 
No, but I think that partially, that's partially true. I think the American people have partially rejected free markets by accepting Obama. Obama is anti-free markets, and they voted for him. So while we know Romney doesn't represent free markets, they certainly did vote for somebody who's anti, with the exact opposite of free markets. I mean, he's the worst, when it comes to economic freedom, he's, the, I think, the worst president we've ever had. So uh, I understand that interpretation, but it, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's not just that. It's also that they rejected the social agenda of the right. But this is my point from early on. This is clearly... Uh, this election does represent a, a, a uh, the decline, the dramatic decline of the American sense of life, and it's been declining slowly over over 40 years. Dr. Peacock talked about uh, the American sense of life after 9/11 has having been unrecognizable as compared to what it had been decades previous, and we're seeing slowly, slowly but surely. As uh, you know, the, the disappearance of the American sense of life, and it's it's going to it is destroying this country. It's we're actively in, in that process. One thing I wanted to add, whether you know, with respect to whether there's a silver lining when someone like Murdoch or Aiken is is voted out, uh, I think it's a silver lining only if the GOP themselves will interpret it that way and say, oh yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to kick out the fanatics who hold those positions. And you think that it would be clear enough evidence, right? You've got a beautiful case of, I don't know if people know, Mill's method of difference, right? Just before he says this stupid, horrendous thing, his he's doing great in the polls. And then right after, right, here's the cause of his tanking. You'd think that they say, okay, unequivocally, this is the cause. This is why I tanked. If I want to succeed politically, I need to set aside any bizarre extreme religious views that I have. Um, but I don't know if they are doing that. And that's why I say, you know, probably no silver lining there. Uh, one other thing from uh, Jack, who wrote on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook, he has a question, and I'll take a stab, and then you can tell me whether I'm sure. right here. He says, I think people who don't under who don't support, he says, I think people who don't support rights are anti-American. He says, but most Americans don't understand rights. Are most Americans anti-American? Now, I would answer this and say, well, if they don't understand it, you can't say that they don't support it yet, that the answer would be we have to make them understand it. But that's probably in part of our what should we do phase for later. But is there something more you can say about that, about what uh, are most Americans anti-American because they don't understand rights? No, I mean, most Americans have never understood rights. So I don't think this is a case in which their understanding of rights, it, to some extent, it's deteriorated, again, because of the entitlement state. But yeah, they don't understand rights, but they didn't in 72 either. Uh, what they had in 72 was a sense of life that compensated for their lack of understanding of rights. And, and Rand talked about this at the time. She said, look, this can last for a while, right? For a while, you can cruise on emotion. You can cruise on a sense of life. But at some point, if you don't have that understanding, you will die. And the fact is that over the last 40 years, we have not done enough to educate Americans about individual rights. And it's time that we do it. It's time that we educate Americans about individual rights, and we need to do a much more, a much bigger effort, a much more concerted effort. And uh, you know, unless we do that, uh, we're in big, big, big trouble because the emotion is gone. Now it's all about education. Now it's all about reason. Now it's all about getting people to think. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would, I would so say. Can I comment on Rand Paul? Oh yeah, you can definitely comment on uh, Zach wants Rand Paul, Rand Paul to run. So let me just say, Rand Paul is one of the nuttiest people when it comes to a religion. Uh, he is one of the uh, sponsors of a bill in the Senate to uh, declare that uh, life begins at conception. And that wouldn't just kill all abortions. That would destroy all abortions. It would also, uh, indeed, all abortions, including the case of rape, including in every other case, but also all stem cell research, all, I mean, it's not clear to me you could still do any kind of stuff with embryos. You couldn't freeze embryos because they're human beings. I, I mean, I'm not sure you could do anything. So I think that is a horrible, horrible position. Now, um, so while I like a lot of what Rand Paul says in terms of uh, in terms of domestic policy, I you know I the fact that he's so radical. It's not just that he's opposed to abortion. He's so radical in the issue of abortion. I would have a very, very hard time supporting him. Look, so Zach says, well, then, who you're on? 
I'm not in the business of uh, of uh, de- declaring who the candidate should be. Uh, you know, uh, politics, it's still too early for politics. So, you know, we need the Republicans need better candidates. That's a problem for Republicans. I'm not a Republican. What we need to think about, and this maybe is the bridge to what you said, is what we need to do to set up the country to vote for somebody better. Somebody says uh, John Allison should run. Yeah, if John would run, I'd certainly vote for him, and I'd get very excited, and I, I would campaign for him. And, I, you know, I'd do – well, I'd have to leave the institute to campaign for him. But I would do anything I can to promote him, and then somebody suggesting Alex Epstein. I mean, look, but the fact is that a John Allison and a Alex would lose. I mean, let's let's be real. I don't need a perfect candidate. I don't need a laissez-faire capitalist candidate. We're not going to get one. We're not going to get a perfect candidate. So don't look for perfection. Look for somebody who can speak coherent. Look for the Ronald Reagan of our time. I mean, look for somebody like that. Uh, you know, John Bolton, maybe John Bolton. I don't know. Yeah. But 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 look for look for a somebody who, who will protect America, who's decent on foreign policy. Somebody who's not a religious nut, but but he's not going to alienate the religious right completely either. So somebody who kind of, but is not is not going to commit it to this, um, and somebody who has a general respect for uh, individual rights and for capitalism. P- people mentioned Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff couldn't even win the Senate. I mean, he he couldn't win the primary, the Republican primary, to go into the Senate. He doesn't have a chance. Uh, and he's way too negative. But look, again, you're not going to get a laissez-faire capitalist winning an election. It ain't happening. It ain't happening now. It ain't happening in four years. It's not going to happen in eight years. We're just not – the country's not ready for that. Our job as objectivists, our jobs as believers in laissez-faire capitalist, capitalism is to educate and to try to get the best people we can. And, and, and the best people we can – don't get involved in the Republican Party because you're not going to influence who the best people we can is. Our job is to change the American people, to get the Tea Party motivated again, to change, to kind of get the Tea Party thinking the right thoughts, to, to, to you know, to get our education, our educational system better, to just keep pushing. Ayn Rand is more influential now in the Republican Party than ever before, but she's not enough. Make her more influential. Keep pushing, 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 and let the Republicans nominate who they will. We will, you know, people get mad at me because I won't. Nominate this so or approve that. I don't have any influence in the Republican Party anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do. So you can't blame me for Romney. But we can have that influence through education. Let the Republican Party nominate whoever they are, whoever they want. But let's hopefully move the country in a direction where better people get nominated and better people uh, get elected. So, uh, I, by the way, I don't think Schiff is an anarchist. I don't know, but I don't think he's an anarchist. I, I'm pretty friendly with Peter. I think he's generally a good guy, but uh, oh, it is my fault, Richard. Really? Um, you know what? What the hell? I'll take responsibility. This is all my fault. Um, I, I wish. I, we've talked about this before. I just wish yeah. you had that I wish. I wish I had that kind of influence because yeah. then I could fix it and correct it. We have got to focus our efforts on changing the conversation. We have got to focus our efforts on, on leading, leading the American public, leading the Tea Party movement, leading with the better elements in the Republican Party, towards ideas that are good ideas. But let's not be delusional in terms of our influence. Our influence is not to get people elected. Our influence is to change the terms of the debate. And if we can do that, we can have a profound impact out there. But it's going to take time. In the meantime, you know, forget about trying to pick candidates. Forget about trying. Let's take issues and really fight for those issues. But at the same time, let's not advocate for people who are, you know, religious fanatics and religious nuts. And again, Zach, there are plenty of people who are anti-abortion. Everybody's anti-abortion in the Republican Party. But there's a difference between being anti-abortion and being a sponsor in the Senate for for de- defining human life as beginning at conception, which is a radical anti-abortion. That's not even a, 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 a moderate, that's not a moderate anti-abortion. That's about as radically anti-abortion. So I, let's find somebody who's, is anti-abortion, but it's not his main issue. He's not gonna, you know, make this the big thing. But that who is uh, he, he also is is decent on capitalism. Again, they don't have to be perfect on capitalism. And I think there are quite a few Republicans uh, like that. I'm not gonna name them here, but I think there are quite a few like that. And you know, and you also got to find somebody who can win. Exactly. You know, I was gonna say someone in the chat room brought up Alan West. 
And I've seen Alan West speak live to an audience of religious conservatives. And even in that audience, he would bring up Ayn Rand. He brings up Ayn Rand all the time. He's excellent. He, he is himself religious, and he's got bad positions on what abortion, etc. And what happened to him is that he is in a fight for his life to even win his little congressional district in Florida. I think so it's pretty here, safe to he, say he's lost. Uh, he's challenging the recount of the pre-votes, yeah. or yeah. I don't know, whatever. But the point is, is that here's a good guy, probably one of the best that's in the party right now, and he can't even get a clear win. So this just shows you how early it is. So Michael's asking if, if AI has a plan to set up a branch dedicated to edu set, uh, state education separation. I, you know, I wish I had the money to set up a whole branch dedicated for that. But, but I do think that in the next year or two, you will see a significant increase in our writing and speaking devoted to exactly that issue. It's going to become a big issue for the Institute. We, you know, I've been, if you followed some of my talks and debates recently, you've heard me talk a lot about that. Yes, we, we, there are going to be articles written about that. Hopefully, there'll be a book coming out of the Institute in the years to come about that. If I had the money, yeah, I would have a bunch of people to talk about that issue. That, if, if we had one issue to talk about, it's the separation of state from education, sell the schools. Get the school, get government out of out of the schools completely. And if any of you out there have like ten million dollars spare, I would set up a center. Hi, hey, Michael, you got ten million bucks. Uh, I would set up a center just dedicated to that because I think the American people are ready. I think they're fed up with public education. I think this could be pitched also to uh, within the inner schools. I think there's great work that can be done here. Uh, and uh, yes, I, I would love I, that is going to be not. I would love. I I'm. That is going to be a big focus of the next few years uh, for the institute. Really, starting in uh, 2013, uh, we've got we, we've we've been talking about this for the last couple of years. I think now we have a writer who's going to be I, I won't say who, but we've got a writer who's going to be primarily focused on this issue. They're going to have my full support because I, I think this is a, a crucially important issue. You'll see me talking about this more, and you'll see other people. So. Uh, if you want to, if you want uh, an issue to to really go after, and it's a long shot, I know, but I think it's uh, it's maybe the most important issue, and that is, let's sell the schools, let's get government out of the schools. And this is also a topic that I'll probably take up a lot during the next year as well. If you want to request special topics, you can go to my Indiegogo campaign, and uh, one of the perks that we have there is that you actually get to request your own topic. Uh, Here's a question in the chat room from Alex. It says, Yaron and Amy, can you comment on why some of the seemingly best and brightest entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley supported Obama? Well, because because they're leftists, because they're, 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 uh, they are liberal, and uh, they're liberal because they're smart and intellectual, and they find the right to medieval and anti-intellectual and uh, i think i think the right is better i don't think it's quite as anti-intellectual as uh, they were 40 years ago but i think i think they they still got a long way to go the fact is that the 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 more you know the more educated people the more they're likely to vote for obama and the left generally uh i also think that people in silicon valley are a little detached from the reality of the world around them they work in an industry that's relatively free, so they extrapolate that to the rest of the economy. Mm. They get to do what they want to do. They're very passionate about it. Uh, so I, I think they're a little bit, they live in a bubble. And uh, wait, wait, wait until government starts regulating uh, Silicon Valley more. It already regulates it much more than it did 20, 30 years ago. But wait until they start seeing the pain, getting the pain from what it what's involved in government regulations. They, you know, and they also, they live in a bubble generally. Life is good. Um, now, I don't think somebody says that explains Steve Jobs. I don't think Steve Jobs was. I mean, I know Steve Jobs was not a supporter of Obama. Now, yeah, he was liberal generally, but I think he was apolitical. I, I don't think he was a leftist uh, on issues. I, I think it was, he was he was he uh, was uh, socially liberal. But I don't think in economic issues he was he was, a, he was a leftist particularly. Um, I don't think he was he gave it much thought. I think he was primarily apolitical. He's very tough on Obama, from my understanding, when he had a dinner with him. Um, so and you know somebody says green energy. You know uh, Stephanie says green energy. I mean part of the reason Silicon Valley is because they get a lot of money now from the government 
to pursue their green energy nonsense, and that that's part of what is pushing this. But um, I was going to say Silicon Valley is going to be affected by government, not necessarily at the federal level right away, but potentially at the state level, given the bad news that you're on late on me just before the show here, which is that in California now in the legislature, there's a super majority in both houses for the liberals. Yeah, Yeah, California is we are now going to experiment with radical with giving all the power to the left and wacky left, not just any left, but wacky left and seeing what will happen. Uh, I think the most conservative guy in power today in California is the governor. Remember, this is guy, the guy called uh, Moonbeam. Uh, so he's a wacko, and he's the most conservative. He's our one hope to restrain the House and the Senate because the, the Democrats have a supermajority. Um, our taxes already have gone up. My taxes, at least, have gone up over 30% just in the last week because of the election. And I expect a lot more down the road in what you're going to see. There's many, many people leaving California, people with money, and uh, they won't want to increase their taxes. And as people leave California, you've got fewer and fewer people left to pay for all the debts that California has taken on. So so California is a disaster. Um, It's hard for me to imagine how bad things are going to be, potentially be here, and kind of the nonsense that this legislature is going to enact. We're going to see, I think, right in front of our eyes, what is going to happen in California? People asking, is AOI going to stay in California? Well, I mean, for the first time ever, it's something we need to think about, but it's very expensive for us to move. It's very expensive to us to leave California. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't expect it to happen anytime soon, certainly, but it's something that you certainly have to think about, uh, you know, as California becomes truly the socialist state of California. Oh, all these people are speculating about where everybody's going to move to in the in the. Chinese I wish just wish the weather in Texas were better. You know, I yeah. loved Austin, but uh, you know, it's it, you know, I travel all the time, so I I get to experience what you guys call weather. We don't have it in California, and it's really hard. You know, I, I really like I I'm the kind of guy who likes 365 days of sunshine. Okay, so if the interpretation of the meaning of the election wasn't depressing enough, now we're going to talk a little bit about what we can predict happening over the next four years in terms of existential events. Okay, so just look at the last few days. I have collected a list here of various actions, statements, and revelations from Obama and the Democrats post-election. First of all, we learned that Iran shot on one of our drones. Did you hear that one, your own? Yeah. 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 And that they didn't reveal this till after the election. Uh Nikula, whatever his name is, Nikula Nikula, the the maker of the anti Muhammad video that supposedly started all the riots in Libya and everywhere else. I just I'll let Amy continue, but just I say I'm not going to Mexico. No way. <laughs> but New Zealand is an option, Zach. So uh so keep me you know that that's that's definitely uh, New on Zealand. The list. I hear is like California. I've yep. never been there. It sounds awesome. Um, so Nikula, he was jailed for a year. Uh, that's an interesting debate in of itself. A question that I would want to ask you because I've seen it discussed all over the place. Which is, given that this guy did something that would have technically justified putting him in jail, but we know that the reason they put him in jail is because of this video. Do you agree or disagree? Is it good or bad that he was thrown in jail? I've seen that debate all over the place. But anyway, he was put in jail for a year uh, after the election. The other thing that we heard is about Petraeus. Petraeus is supposed to testify in Congress about this Benghazi thing. And then conveniently, he resigns because of an affair. They have been holding out on this. They they didn't reveal it till after the election. Uh, both Obama and Reid and everybody else, I've got a speech from Obama on November 9th that I won't bore you with, but he's saying, look, we have debated the issue of raising taxes on the so-called rich all throughout the election. He says, we basically have a mandate to raise taxes on the rich. And he says, while I'm you know, all for compromise, he says, I will not accept any deal from the Republicans that does not include a so-called balanced approach, which means raising taxes on the rich. Uh, Obama has banned Western oil drilling, I guess, in the last couple of days. That's another thing I heard. Reid is going for a filibuster-proof Senate. 
uh that's just a smattering of of what we've heard in the past few days so what what is what is this bode for the next four years well i don't know i mean a lot of this stuff is coming out but i, I don't know how serious it is yeah Petraeus left i i you know i'm not a big Petraeus fan i know uh, conservatives love him i think he's a wimp and and uh, it was an awful general and is responsible for much of the disaster that is afghanistan and uh and iraq today and you know I, I don't like to say negative, you know, but it serves him right. Um, he's got blood in his hands. If he if he resigned, good, good. Um, but but they might. I mean, I don't think it's illegitimate for him to resign. There was a it, there was an affair, but it was more. There were emails suggesting maybe blackmail and people upset. Who knows? I mean, we'll find out. I think in the weeks to come, we'll find out more about that. But look, this is all diversions. The real issue is what is what are they going to do? And the problem is that Obama's discovered, I think the big problem is that Obama's discovered the power of executive orders. And I, I think you're going to see a few things through executive order. I think the most harmful thing that he will probably do through executive order is basically some form of carbon tax. Now, he won't be able to be, it won't be able to be a tax, but they will dramatically increase regulations over carbon through the EPA without having to go through Congress. That is a disaster for, for America. You're already seeing uh, his war on coal. I think that will intensify. I think you're going to see massive layoffs and, and, and significant increase in our costs of electricity, although if we shift to natural gas, I guess we can offset some of those costs. Um, yeah, we're not going to drill as much, and you're going to see the APA looking into fracking, and uh, you're going to start seeing a, a, an intensive campaign now uh, around, uh, around fracking, around anti-fracking, um, and as a consequence, you know, that's going to increase the cost of energy and, and reduce, reduce you know, what is the largest energy find maybe in human history, which is uh, which is oil and natural gas in the United States, which we could get because of the new technologies. They're going to they're going to destroy this. Uh, you're going to see a lot more investment in the stupid green energy. So you're going to see you're not going to. So so put that aside. Now, let's start with the budget. Right. Taxes will go up. There's no question in my mind. Anywhere you slice it, taxes on the rich. Define it how you want to define it. We'll go up, and the, the Republicans will they'll come up with some package, and they'll, they'll explain it. Maybe it's fewer deductions. Maybe it's increasing the minimal, uh, the alternative minimum tax. Maybe it's increasing marginal rates. Who knows what the compromise will be? But there will be a compromise in which taxes on the rich go up. Because look, the fact is that the, the Republicans are no friends of anybody, and they they don't really against increasing taxes, not in a deep sense. Um, Regulations are going to increase. Dodd Frank is in place. Obamacare is a done deal. Uh, so you're going to see all this, and, and government spending will increase. So part of the package will be spending cuts and tax increases. But the spending cuts will be phased in over 10 years, and most of them will be back-ended. So what you'll see is a massive increase in debt. Um, and over time, interest rates will start going up. Inflation is going to go up because of what the Fed is doing. Or you'll see def uh, 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 credit contraction. So inflation, I mean price inflation. So you're going to see, in other words, the big picture is the economy is going to be a mess. Now, I'm, I don't do predictions. So uh, I don't know, you know, are we going to have economic collapse? Is it going to be a catastrophe? Are we going to get hyperinflation? Are we going to get massive, uh, you know, uh, so on? I, you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, but I do know the economy in the next four years, probably in the next 10 years, probably the next 15 years, is going to be a disaster. It's going to be awful. It's going to be very painful. If you got a job, keep hold to it. Get trained on something where there's, where there's real work out there, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, watch your investments. Uh, buy some gold. Put a significant amount of your money into gold. Uh, you know, you should have at least 10%, probably a lot more than that in gold. Uh, it, it's going to get very, very nasty. And I'm not even talking about people here talking about um, people talk to, uh, talking about here about foreign policy. I'm not even talking about Iran getting nukes, which they will in four years. Israel won't do anything about it. Uh, you know, so I'm just talking about the uh, the. Economic facts and economic facts are an enormous disaster. And some of you might say this is great because that'll prove to the world that statism doesn't work, but it doesn't work that way. Nobody learns from experience. People just blame the market for this. Uh, by the way, I'm not coming to live in Toronto. Forget it. Uh, it's too cold.
Oh, I, I thought it was going to be maybe because they have socialized medicine and other things. No, Canada is more economically free than the United States. Oh, yeah. If I've you, heard if that. you want I've to start that, a business, yeah. go to Canada. Don't yeah. don't do it here. And you know, just do it somewhere close within driving distance to Mayo Clinic and get your health care as long as it exists in the Mayo Clinic. And by the way, my prediction is that as we completely socialize our health care, like in five to ten years, Canada will start privatizing it and start freeing it up. So you will start seeing Americans going to Canada for health care. Or to Mexico, because I think you can go or, get some in Mexico places, certain places too. Yep. So, Yaron, you don't believe in John Boehner, the Speaker of the House, that he's going to save us. I mean, here, you know, I've got, uh, you know, Boehner telling, this is November 10th, 2012, New York Times, Boehner telling the House GOP to fall in line, which is very ominous sounding, uh, it, you know, in addition to his other remarks about now that Obamacare is the law of the land, and so he doesn't have this focus on repealing. I think he made that to Diane Sawyer the other day. But he, he says, it says right here in the New York Times, it says, while the Republicans are going to still control the House and they're going to continue to staunchly oppose tax rate increases. Oh, that's the key. Tax rate increases. So you're right. They're going to do something different. Well, and rates might go up. I mean, this is all rhetoric right now. Boehner doesn't want sequestration or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, the Republicans don't want that. I think I, I, I would go for it. If you're going to increase taxes, increase it on everybody. And if you're going to cut a billion dollars, then cut a billion dollars. So I'm all for a, tri a trillion dollars. What? I can't remember what that means. I think it's a trillion dollars over 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's nothing. But, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's. Uh, if I were in the House, I would go for, um, you know, the cuts and the increased taxes because I think that's a better alternative than what deal they could uh, they could cut, they could uh, they can handle. Uh, by the way, if you invite me to come to Toronto to give a speech, I will definitely come. So arrange an audience, arrange a, a venue, and I'll come. I have nothing. I, I like Toronto, just not in the window. Um, but but I think that, yeah, they are going to, you know, and they might even come up with a big plan where they cut spending and they cut taxes or, or they, reach, they change the tax code. They rejigger it so the rich pay more, but it's flatter or simpler or something like that. But the fact is that it, it won't work. It'll make our lives much worse. Uh, and uh, it, it's going to be a, a, a Republicans will compromise. Look, the, the, the left won. So if you believe in politics and you believe in democracy, then the left won. They have a mandate, and it's the job of the opposition to move towards the middle. And that's what's going to happen. Uh, that's what will happen to the Republicans. They won't be able to withstand their radicalism. I mean, the Republicans have even lost about 10 seats in the House. So it's not like the House, they did phenomenally well. They've still got a majority, but clearly the left's mandate won here, and the Republicans will play into that. In terms of. And by the way, we don't need a balanced budget. We need a surplus so we right. can pay back the debt. A balanced budget does nothing. You need a massive surplus to start paying that down the debt. And then what you need is to solve the entitlements, uh, which, in my view, should be phased out. But you need a plan because otherwise uh, there's no way you can continue paying for entitlements. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt will consume every dollar of revenue in this country by between 2020 and 2025, which is not that far away. So, you know, that is a complete another disaster. There's no money for anything other than that. So you have to, have to, have to dramatically deal with entitlements. And I, I, I think they might. They might do things like raise the retirement age and change stuff. And, and Obama has shown himself to be open to that. But it'll be too little, too late, and it won't be the kind of, you know, uh, real reform that we need in this country. What about a couple of so-called rays of sunshine that I've seen out there from places external to the federal government? So one article that was pointed out to me by Rosemary, who's a listener to this show, it's in the Examiner, uh, and it was published November 11th, and it says that Texas is one of, I guess, 15 states that have petitioned the Obama administration for withdrawal from the United States of America. So that's one act of rebellion from the states. And then another act of rebellion from the states was written about on Cato's website. And they talked about the fact that the implementation of Obamacare requires the so-called voluntary cooperation, but apparently the states do have a little bit of choice in this matter, voluntary cooperation of the states in setting up these exchanges for purchasing insurance and, and other things, and that many states 
are going to decide not to participate and that that could sink Obamacare and in a little way save us? So two things. Secession is is ridiculous. It's never going to happen. The federal government would never allow it. They have nukes. They have the military. It just ain't going to happen, so forget about it. It's a nice idea, but if if you could get away with secession, you might as well just change the country because it's the same the same thing would have to happen. It's not going to happen. You heard it here first. Um, and it, the fact is that uh, in terms of Obamacare, yeah, a lot of states will not do all of it. They'll just do pieces of it. Uh, the temptation's huge, though, because the federal government is going to send you a bunch of money. But let's say they don't. What's going to happen? Look, Obamacare is going to fail. There's no question. Everybody knows Obamacare is going to fail. Who get blamed for Obamacare failing? Well, the states who didn't adopt it and the insurance companies. And when it fails, what do you think the solution is going to be? Free market health care? No, it's going to be socialized medicine. I see almost no alternative to the imposition of single-payer universal health care in the United States in the next 10 years. Uh, I don't care who wins the election. So uh, the only way to avoid that is, is a massive win by the Republicans and a different type of Republicans, Republicans who actually believe in free markets. And uh, there's a lot of work if we help to do that. There's no candidate on the horizon that's capable of doing that. Okay. So there's no hope uh, from (laughs) all these states rebelling on our behalf or their behalf out of wanting to survive. So what do we do? Now, we talked a little bit about this before in terms of the education piece. And I actually do think that the the one piece that you talked about, which is getting government out of schools, is such a huge component. Why? Because if you say, well, look, the American sense of life is dying, I would say it's dying among everyone of voting age and above. And that the hope really for the future are those kids, but that the American sense of life is beat out of them even before they're 18 in the government schools. So that obviously is a huge component. But what else? What else is ARI doing? Yeah. So let's first let's uh, be clear. If you read Dim, and you should all read Dim. Dim is Leonard Peikoff's new book. The probability of of uh, this being a catastrophe over the next 40 years is very very high. It's well over 50 percent. That doesn't mean you stop fighting. You have to fight. The only way to deal with this is fight. Where are you going to go? I mean, realistically, uh, you know, it's not like Texas is a paradise. I've been there. I've lived there. It's it's better than, you know, politically better than many other places. But there are also a lot of religious nuts in Texas. And, and Texas has passed a lot of uh, anti-free market things and will continue to do so. It's drifting in the same direction. Everybody's drifting in the same direction. New Zealand's a wonderful place, but if America goes, New Zealand goes. You got to fight, and I don't think objectivists take that seriously. I think life is just too good to take it seriously. I think uh, life is too, uh, you know, comfortable, and I don't think anybody believes that uh, economic collapse and political collapse is really possible in this country. We say it, but I don't think we really believe it. We have to fight. That means we have to get on the barricades. We need to intellectual barricades we need to start getting active we need to start trying to influence this debate i don't know how many objectivists are out there you know let's say there are twenty thousand objectivists in the world only a fraction of those give money to the institute for example only a fraction of those write anything only a fraction of those speak up at public events only a fraction of those have joined the tea party only a fraction of those make their voices heard. And then let's say there's another 100,000 allies that we have of objectivists who are really, you know, pretty committed, but maybe not completely consider themselves 100. You know, this is what's required today is a revolution. Revolutions don't happen by themselves. Require an army. And, And again, I'm not talking about an armed revolution. I'm talking about a moral political revolution. We need an army. We need an army of people dedicated to going out there and getting our ideas a voice, getting our ideas to become part of the culture. We need an army of dedicated people going out there and talking and writing and speaking and educating and and funding and funding. If you're busy, write a check to the Institute. How many of you have written a check to the Institute? We need to really take this on. We are hiring writers. We are hiring people left and right. We're, we're taking this to the enemy. I think, uh, you know, the, the one bright side of Obama 
is we're going to sell more books. More people are going to be interested in objectivism. Our budget is going to increase. We are, we are going to become a more potent force in the culture, but we need your help. And, and you guys, I think, this isn't optional anymore. Uh, you guys need to take this seriously. Buy my book. Give it its presence. Uh, you know, the book is, is an, an important foundation for any revolution. It's called Free Market Revolution for a Reason. This is a revolution that's necessary, and we need to fight. And it, this is not about being nice, and it's not about being, uh, you know, uh, uh, moderate. This is going out there and, and fighting the good fight. To so join me, I'm working, you know, 100 hours a week on this. You guys need to join. Okay, thank you, Yorona. We're being cut off now, so everything here that I'm saying is just going to the recorded audience. Also, please continue to follow this show and to compete with Yorona's uh, request for donations. I'm going to plug my Indiegogo campaign if you want to support this show and help it get to a bigger audience in 2013. If you go to Indiegogo.com and you search for Don't Let It Go Unheard, you will find the campaign. Thanks, everyone. Also, do spread the word and tell people if you like this show and join the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook, and we'll talk next week. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>